Hello, and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 150. Crazy to think we've had 150 shows. I want to thank you every one of you who has joined me. Uh, Some of you I know listen literally every single week and have done since the beginning. So 10 points and a gold star. And of course, to everybody who shares the show with friends, family, on social media, or who writes in to share a way that one of the shows has impacted you or the show in general, I often wondered whether being so multi-passionate about food, body, home, mind, planet care, personal health challenges, uh, how that could work in one show. Uh, And of course, every business lesson you learn is all about being niched down into one speciality. But of course, I'm no specialist other than a a specialist of change making and helping people create change in their lives uh, and helping companies create change in their structures. So uh, what I love is that we just bring all of these incredible experts each Monday to you, and this Monday is no exception. I have Nadine Richardson, who is the founder of SheBirths, uh, and it's the only scientifically verified childbirth education program. She's had some incredible results in terms of reduction in use of epidurals or need for C-sections or medical augmentation even reduction in the resuscitation of babies uh, in terms of the need for that in labor and shortened labor. So if that's got you curious, if you've got a baby on the horizon, or if you have a friend who does, then I know this show is going to be hugely impactful for you and for them. Uh, Another aspect is we're not really just talking about the birth itself in this show, but we're talking about ritual and rites of passage and how all of us uh, even if our baby making days are gone or we've decided not to make babies or we can't, we can still have an incredible impact on those around us who do go through this magical time, this time of incredible transformation and creation. And I really, really am very proud of what this show is going to uh, help people see about just how important preparing for birth and supporting the woman after the birth has occurred uh, is going to do. It's just uh, such a great conversation. Nadine's a rock star. Uh, she's a mother, a yoga teacher, a doula, uh, and director of the Birthing Institute, and they've had over 8,000 people go through uh, the SheBirths program worldwide. Uh, please don't panic if you are someone who can't get to Sydney or Byron where the workshops happen regularly. Uh, it exists as an online program as well, and we support this online program in our curated online education section on the, the shop page of our website, lotoxlife.com, and then hit the shop tab uh, because, you know, there are so many different courses online and we really like to make sure that we share courses on a variety of topics that are actually going to help Uh, and are founded in medical research, especially if they are around health topics. And SheBirths is really quite incredible. So head to the show notes because we have a sweet little 10% off for you uh, as well. 
so before I hook into that chat with Nadine, I just wanted to thank everyone in the community who has joined the Lotox Club. It's such a beautiful place to bring your Lotox life to life with chat around the different episodes. You get a preview of what show guests are coming up so that you can actually put questions forward and I can make those shows as relevant to you as possible. And in terms of cost, think about it this way. It is literally $1 US per episode of the show. So if you have listened to one of these 150 shows and had a a super positive result that you would otherwise have paid hundreds of dollars to receive through uh, medical advice or testing, or uh, if you're a business owner through um, your R&D phase going into researching new product development, then a dollar per show is not much. And what we can do for you for that, so it's $4 US a month through Patreon, what we do for you for that is also provide a whole bunch of extra bonuses. So if there are a ton of questions from the clubbers, for example, um, with the health uh, topic of the thyroid recently with Dr. Eric Balkovage, um, we ended up recording a whole extra show that was just on the Lotox Club members' questions and popped that in uh, the Facebook group that exists for the clubbers. Uh, We also run challenges, upping your greens, reducing your waste, uh, and all sorts of things like that. We do some sort of little hacks and things as well. It's good fun. And you have 20% off all of our e-courses all year round. Not to mention a few little uh, debriefs that I have, you know, if I've been to exciting conferences or extra thoughts that I have around the show or things that are happening topically around the low-tox life topics uh, or um, like the makeup masterclass that I did a couple of weeks ago, just sharing what I use, why I use it, how I use it and how I recycle containers, all those sorts of things. So if you want a little bit more interaction around all these topics, it's a really beautiful place to be. Uh, $4 US a month through the Patreon website uh, and then just search Lotox Life once you're in there. Uh, and there's a higher tier, $10 a month, um, that includes a webinar with me quarterly. And, uh, if that's, if you're a diehard supporter of the show and you just want it to continue and thrive, then you might want to consider that one as well. And thank you for either option. And of course, you know, if that's not for you, that's fine. I love having you here every week anyway. So here is this incredible chat with Nadine Richardson, founder of SheBirths. Uh, and I know you're going to enjoy it as much as I do. And please, 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 if you know anyone who is related to someone giving birth or who is going to be giving birth themselves in the near future, please share this show with them because I think it will benefit them greatly. Enjoy. Hey, Nadine, how are you? I'm good, Alex. How are you? I'm super well, and I'm really excited to have you on my show this time. Uh, It was so wonderful chatting to you for the SheBirths podcast, and and I really thank you for spreading my message, and I think you have an incredible body of work that needs a much wider base of people who know it exists so that they can draw on all of the goodness that you provide. So I'm absolutely... um, stoked to have you with me today. I want to start, there's so many places we can go with this conversation, but I just want to start by asking you about where your fascination from birth came from. I just love that you asked me that question. So thank you for that because (laughs) people often ask, well, how did you create SheBirths? But actually the fascination 
with birth is such an interesting thing. You know, when you train to become a, a doula, um, you start to explore birth and where you first came in contact with it really. And when you start to, to get a notion of what it was and, I started to recall doing sex education in my <laughs> all girls uh, independent Catholic school. Oh, me too. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 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 And I don't know if it's the same for you, but I'm pretty sure they showed us birth footage in order to mm -hmm. stop us from having sex. I'm pretty sure that's the case as well. In fact, yeah. year five, Mrs. Denny was my teacher's name. I remember it. They showed us a French 70s film of a woman giving birth with doctors, blue coats, bright, you know, uh, artificial lights over her. And they were saying, Ali, 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 pussy, 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 push, push, push. Yeah, and yeah. she was just screaming, and we were all horrified. Yeah, so that's right. with yours, if that it's was. Pretty similar. Okay. It's pretty yeah. similar. I think we were in year nine, and. Um, I remember watching this woman, you know, struggling so much, lying on her back on a hospital bed and holding onto the metal frames and no mm. one touching her, her screaming, um, you know, the, the crack shot. I don't, I don't really don't think crack shots are that <laughs> necessary for birth <laughs> education. Um, so, yeah, up the crack shot, quite a lot of blood. There was clearly a tear. And I just remember like being horrified. Everyone in the room was disgusted and horrified and was yelling out, oh, my God, miss, that's so gross. Oh, my God, <laughs> I gave it to quite an ethnic school. And, um, but I was the only one in the room who cried. And I also thought and felt that it was incredibly beautiful. Mm. So I just think even then at like whatever age that was, 14, and then actually at 16, my little brother was born. And... Um, I missed the birth by like two hours because he lived up north. And so, but I really wanted to be there. And of course I, I got the video of it and there was another up the crack shot. But again, I remember being fascinated by it. And yeah, I think from then on, I wanted to become a mother. It was like this overwhelming tsunami of hormones at the age of 25. Like I was literally just starting to build a career and I just became incredibly disinterested in that. I was doing um, a self-development program and they just kept on saying, so now what do you want to do? And now what do you want to do? And I was like, yes, and then I'm going to get these clients and then I'm going to build and then we're going to, you know, hit these KPIs and it was all about that. And then I just broke down into tears and I was like, actually, all I really want to do is, is be a mother. And so that was it. Motherhood was the big uh, journey for me of growth and yeah, the deep, deep burning inquiry about birth and birth education certainly came after my own experience of like a five-day pre-labor and a two-day active labor and getting to two centimeters after that time and going to hospital and, um, you know, getting medical assistance. And yeah, 12 weeks of birth education just hadn't prepared me or my partner for that. And it was either clinical or hippie. And I was like, what is going on? Like, where's the the open-minded kind of approach. And every time I tried to talk to people about birth, it was always this shutdown. Everything was taboo or it was just a myth or it was just gossip or it might be this. And might be... There were no definitives. So I just became very interested after Leroy's birth. But I think that I saw something in it from a young age that I thought it was just incredibly magical as well. <laughs> That's yeah. the long answer. <laughs> and, and at what point did you then think, 
I, I can teach this better, like, because there must yeah. have been a moment where that was sort of stirring, a, a frustration with the system must have been stirring inside, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm what I like to call a reluctant uh, entrepreneur. Um, I, I definitely have an entrepreneur's mindset and I love to innovate and inspire, um, but I never planned to create my own birth education program. It was really a good few years of being a doula and a labor assistant. I did qualify actually in two other birth education trainings that are at polar opposites to one another. And my integrity just, it just came up against my integrity to teach them. I felt they were inadequate and they didn't give women or partners um, enough tools Mm. and a broad enough philosophy and um and access to creating birth being beautiful no matter what unfolds i still i felt that they were still creating a shame and trauma uh, mindset if birth didn't go well Mm. and i really wanted to try so hard to eliminate that i want every woman to come out of birth just feeling like friggin proud Mm. because that's what we should feel and that as a doula was my job and Um, So I wanted to create this sort of doulering program. How do we become doulas to a broad amount of people? How do we give them the skills? How do we make dads doulas? You know, and how do we doula ourselves into believing that we are friggin' awesome? Because any woman who gives birth, no matter how it happens, is friggin' awesome. It's scary. It's Mm. intense. You have to hand over to other people. You have to hand over to nature. You have to yield to pain whether it's a natural birth or a cesarean birth and it's all the unknowns it's incredibly scary what's on the other side as well so i think we're all heroes it's it's the hero's journey for a woman going through birth amazing and uh, a lot of people um, from conventional thinking might hear the word doula and think oh that means it's like about crystals and tarot cards (laughs) no but seriously like we have to we have to break down these stereotypes to show the magic of this person and the strategic uh, um, yeah. smarts of having a doula on your team. Can you talk a little bit more deeply in, in about how you discovered what a doula was, what that meant through the history of time to women? And, uh, and I think, cause I think that's a really uh, special thing mm. to understand more deeply. Yeah, it is. And doulas have, been around since the beginning of time I would I would say even prior to midwives because women always would have attended women's births and would have always supported women at birth for sure we've got this idea of women you know in a rice paddy going off behind a tree squatting down on her own and catching her own baby they actually very few women around the world that have birth like that Um, Indigenous people will have their sisters around them. If you read the Old Testament, you'll hear stories about women going off into the red tent. So in a sense, every single woman was a doula. You were a labour assistant. You would have attended your sisters, your aunties, your cousins, and maybe even your mother's birth, you know, for her eighth child. And that is the way we grew up. So I really believe the doula training is actually um, a program that every single woman should do. Mm. ideally before she has a baby because it's the original way that we've always given birth and 
rightly so, because it allows the laboring woman to feel safe. And when a mammal gives birth, any mammal, dogs, cats, lions, tigers, dolphins, all of them, um, we always have a confidant and an advocate and a caretaker and someone who's close to us and someone who never leaves our side. And so that's just critical. And, and now we know like the doula is actually the most evidence-based person and tool to have in that laboring room to help prevent medical intervention, but also to increase maternal satisfaction rates. So it means to serve woman. It comes from the Latin to serve woman. Um, the word midwife means to be with woman. Um, obstetrician means to observe. You know, so if you think about it really in that sense, the doula is there the longest. The doula is the pain relief strategist. The doula is an emotional support. And then the midwife is doing the vital checks and helping with, um, you know, any complications. I don't know how to manage shoulder dystocia. I don't know um, how to prevent a perineal tear. That's not my job. I don't know how to do blood pressure vaginal exams, but I know how to look after a woman so that she feels she can relax and yield to the pain and let go. And that's an incredibly beneficial thing to mother's heart rates and baby's heart rates. Um, and I know how to help partners support their mums and what to say to reassure mum and all those sorts of things. I normalise birth. But um, it's just an ancient thing, right? We've been doing it forever. So I think we're really important. And no, I, I don't bring um, dolphin music. I don't bring crystal bowls. <laughs> I bring my hands. I bring like cool cloths for heads. I bring like massaging tools. Yeah, I might bring some oils if she likes those sorts of things. But, you know, their ancillary, um, the education and the hands-on support is the most important thing. Yeah. Mm. And, and so obviously you get to that point where you decide to create a, a birthing program, She Births. Mm. Um, how did you decide what needed to be in there? What, were the, what are the most important things to you to uh, ensure people get access to before they, um, they face the big day, so to speak? Yeah, the, the most important the most important element was that we prepared the body mm. and the mind and the emotional self. And if people wanted to, there was an access to spiritual mm -hmm. perspective on birth. So I think it's so important that it went across all those quadrants of what makes us a human being in a way that people could dive in deeper if they wanted to. So I see SheBirths as this like two-day intensive that give people this huge perspective and understanding of birth, critical knowledge to be able to go into birth feeling confident, excited, have a realistic expectation and all the practical tools, pain relief strategies, how to work with them, how to layer them. And yeah, we include more than any other program. But I, I really feel like the emotional end spiritual, social, they can cross them over, um, are also really, really important. So it was how to create a holistic program while not uh, being too alternative and how to include evidence-based without being too clinical. So I've always just tried to walk the line and include both. But mind and body, emotion and social, spiritual are all really, really important to prepare because birth is a psychosomatic experience. It's not just a purely physical one. You can't just learn mm -hmm. how to bang stress balls and stomp your feet. And it's not just a mental program. You can't just do visualizations and learn 
how to relax. That's not enough to get you across the line. It, it hurts no. like bringing pellet points, right? <laughs> so there were programs teaching at these two extremes and I felt it was really important to, at the minimum, give people both. But then there were so many other things I wanted to include. And yeah, I mean, to see birth as part of, like we were just talking before, the hero's journey, to understand that it's a rite of passage, that you are going to be challenged in that perinatal period, no matter what, no matter who you are, nobody gets off scot-free. So what's more important even than knowledge is having some, a philosophy and some principles to align yourself with. And so we spend a lot of time in SheBirths giving couples an opportunity to connect with one another and to consider what's important to them in forming a new family, what creates a beautiful birth for them the qualities the values that they want to bring into that experience because then it's not about whether you have an epidural or not it's about whether you maybe bring love and connection into the room and it's not how our babies are born but who we're being that actually shares a chemistry with our child and that's the most important thing so yeah mm. i really like how you use the word birth preferences in your language as opposed to plan because plans can go awry but preferences i almost feel like they can transcend the nuts and bolts just as you were talking about before right yeah totally preferences versus plans so yeah my my families can use the word birth plan, but they, they know what it means. It means we have an idea, we have an intention, we're going for gold, you know. I, I call it shoot for the moon because even if you miss, you're going to land amongst the stars. Mm. And that's really, really important um, to know then how you will adapt and, and having conscious decision-making tools. Um, so, you know, when you get hit with the decision, should we be induced or not or... Um, you know, is the morphine a good idea right now? Then you can simply say, okay, well, brand it. I, I like the word brand. Um, so the partner can say on behalf of mum and their team, you know, please tell us what are the benefits of what you're recommending? What are the risks, the alternatives? What if we do nothing? Also N is like, what do I feel inside? And what's my intuition telling me? And D, give us time to discuss and decide. And that's a critical thing to do at any crossroads. And that might be before birth or after um, so that we've got a head around what's happening and we've had an acknowledgement of our heart as well and our team feels connected. And even if there's only one possible way things are going to go, 30 seconds is all it takes to have that discourse eye to eye with your team so that you are aligned and comfortable with the next step unfolding so that you don't feel like you've been pushed down a conveyor belt. And, and that's what too many women feel now in our world and all around the world, not just in Australia, not just in America, but in developing countries too. People are just getting shoved down these system, systemic conveyor belts, coming out feeling they have no agency, no power, and not feeling empowered as mothers. Anyway, that's another longer story too. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> You speak about birth as obviously as a hero's journey, but as a transformative experience. So you're not the same person afterwards. Um, baby aside, you know what I mean? Like it in, in terms of yourself. And it got me to thinking about survival and creation um, mm. and how our society sees birth as this risk-laden fight for survival rather than a place to celebrate and create from. And, uh, and I had never really thought about it until I was watching some of your videos online and, and researching for our chat today. 
And, uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, you cannot create when you are in a state of survival. I've learned that through uh, meditation training and, uh, and isn't that just so scary? This is a huge part of the problem, yeah. I think, that we face today, therefore, that we are going into birth with a feeling of um, fighting for our survival, our child's survival, and that's really the big focus. It's always about... Um, about that in our conventional model. So I feel like Sheba sort of helps create the yin to the yang of that, that societal pull. Yeah, and I think we have to understand everybody's role. Like obviously 99.4% of Australians will give birth in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really important to understand that their job is to manage your risks. Yeah, of course. And they are your safety net. So hand it over and don't even think a moment about it. Mm, Your job. Great advice. Yeah, just let it go. Um, And I think dads in particular are often carrying a lot of anxiety about it. Like, And they don't understand that a health practitioner, a provider will always be on airing on the side of caution. So no one's going to not suggest something unless they feel there's an issue to be discussed or a concern to have. And I think just learning to trust our systems and their roles is really important. But yeah, this state, I think you're talking about two types of fear, then the fear of death and, and, and these sorts of things will be managed by our providers. But then the fear of labor itself is a much bigger one that we um, need to address internally. And that is, primarily dealt with via education and then the practices of meditation and breathing mainly eastern techniques are what works for people um but knowledge is the greatest fear liberator i think and over the last 11 years that i've been teaching she births i would say that the fear factor that couples come into my room with on a saturday morning has doubled i think wow. that what we have Yeah, yeah. I think that what we have now is like a collective chronic phobia around fear. So that means people are existing in this fight or flight state. Mm. They're in a survival, non-creation place. There isn't opportunity. There isn't adaptability. um, There's just resistance and fear and tension. And that's not the optimal state to go into childbirth with. And that primarily comes from, I would suggest, media and screens, the Mm. access that we have now to birth footage and TV shows. Like in America, there's 47 TV shows based around childbirth currently on air. Isn't that horrific? And And I can just imagine what they look like and what what message they portray. Yeah. I know. Some of them bring a game show host into the birthing suite like wheeling in like these gambling trolleys with lights flashing and stuff like that. And it's like, just thought about like, you know, what people do maybe for fame or money or because out of ignorance, right. Mm -hmm. To let that person in. It's just, um, yeah, they don't have no idea about the hormones, the privacy that's required in order for labor to occur. One born every minute is, it should, you know, there's like one in about 20 births that are nice and should be watched the other 19 just should not be watched by anybody. Mm. There's no narration. There's no explanation about why a baby's gone this way, why a mother's feeling that. And I could narrate that show completely and make it an educational one. But right now all it's doing is 
perpetuating the fear state around Mm -hmm. childbirth and that should stop it's yeah. going to stop or you have to censor you have to be discerning in this information age we're bombarded by crap mm. you, you have to think about what's serving you and what is really doing the opposite i remember my midwife uh at the very start of our visits with her said and i'm just going to make a recommendation that you do not watch a single medical reality program for the next uh year like just you're just not allowed to go anywhere near them they're going to put a whole bunch of crazy thoughts in your head about how terrible this is going to be and you don't need it and it was one of the best little pieces of advice that we got it was um not that i watched that kind of stuff anyway but to just be really mindful that even if an ad came on to just you know walk to the kitchen or something could not agree more and Mm. if someone said to me what's the one thing I have no time to do anything at all. That'd be the one thing you should do. Yeah. That's mm. the number one thing is stop listening to the negative. Stop watching the negative. You know, when you're watching a screen, your brain's in like a semi-hypnotic state. The neural plasticity has just expanded greatly. And when you hear a story, you're 22 times more likely to remember the information in that story because it's in a narrative. Mm. So, and then the human brain like receives and encodes negativity five times faster than it does positivity in order for our survival of the species. But what we are exposed to now is what we were never exposed to before when we were villages under 100 people or so. So since the Industrial Revolution, since technology, our exposure to negativity is perpetuating that negativity. They've done studies showing that when people watch, I think, four to eight minutes of news in the morning, they're 36% more likely to be pessimistic at the end of the day. Wow. That's significant. Yeah, it is, right? Mm. And so what are we creating? What can you create from a negative mindset? Not much because we go into fear. And survival. Exactly. There goes creation again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. So interesting. And I was speaking about research and studies, something because I'm a nerd, I just love that you actually... You are such a nerd. I love that you're a nerd. (laughs) You have at fault just how significantly beneficial your... your program is and there's actually a paper that has been published on the clinical benefits of the she births program talk us through those yeah so that was that was interesting right so for the first five years of of she births you know i was just in bondi and doing what i do and it came out of all my you know doula clients and yoga students wanting birth education and it grew pretty quick like you know the first course had one person and the second course had two and then it went four and then it was like the Fibonacci numbers just (laughs) yeah now we cap it at like 12 you know um but I think what was interesting was that a woman came to me um to prepare for her third birth two very traumatic uh pregnancies and births prior and really petrified she'd heard about my yoga she used to travel all the way from the north shore over to yoga on saturdays and asked to do a private she births program and when she did it she said to me wow this program's amazing i've done like all the other birth education programs trying to get ready for this birth but i feel like yours is like the most comprehensive and I think you've got like all these evidence-based tools in there, but I have to do more research. Do you know that I'm a Royal North Shore maternity researcher? I'm like, I had no idea. She said, well, you know, I'd really like to do my PhD on your program. Wow. And I said, I said, cool. 
go and have your baby, love, and give me a call <laughs> later. And she rang in maternity leave and said, I've got, you know, federal and state funding and I want to do the program. Will you train me? You know, will you hand over all your IP for free? Will you work with the university for the next four years? And I was like, for sure, why not? Put our hand up for randomised control trials. And it really was a gold standard trial. They did um, qualitative and quantitative research and, yeah, it was incredibly thorough. And when the statistics came in, so it was 176 births and half the group received standard hospital birth education in two major hospitals here in Sydney and the um, intervention group received the She Births program taught by the researcher who I trained and mentored. And then, um, and that was my first educator training, her and a few others. And then, um, yeah, the results came in and the professors were like, they can't be right. We don't have any other records of birth education ever making a significant change in um, intervention rates go back. They have to do the stats again. So then we waited another six months. <laughs> they came back and they were right. So, yeah, it was exciting to be published in the British Medical Journal. And, yeah, particularly I come from a medical family. I started in medicine and left and... Yeah, I have huge respect for, you know, data and research, especially when it's done thoroughly and well and was actually a really significant number of births. I know a lot of people go, oh, it would be good to do a bigger one. But, you know, some of the reviews in Cochrane are, are 30 people in a trial and stuff like that. So, yeah, a 65% reduction um, in epidural usage, a 44% reduction in cesarean section, and a 50% reduction in the augmentation of labour, so that use of synthetic oxytocin that we know has a big indicator in um, the cascade of intervention and also in postnatal depression and anxiety. And then a 53% reduction in resuscitation of babies and even shorter second stages by 32 minutes and less perineal trauma by 12%. So it was very exciting, very happy to see that it worked. And I had a feeling that it worked but you never know when it's your own program and you never know when people are self-selecting mm, and paying. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and you, you don't know if it's just... There's a huge element of just wanting to believe that what you're seeing around you is, is, uh, is working in the way that all the people give you the feedback, but we can end up in these little bubbles of belief and truth um, that are quite selective and yeah. it's just so exciting that you then have that... Um, that research to back you up. Not that it was ever really needed, but far out. It's a nice little cherry on top, isn't it? Well, I just think it gives credibility mm. to the whole industry, but, and, and it shows people that you can have agency. Over yeah, of course. If you put preparation in, you really can. And I think, you know, I know she births is very unique, um, but there's, you know, lots of other great ways to prepare and, and put that work in, in body, mind and spirit. Yeah. And, you know, something else I really like about having that um, quantitative and qualitative research is if we're ever going to make a success of uh, bringing closer together conventional and, uh, and holistic uh, medicine uh, and, and share the magic in both models, then research is what's going to get us there. And 
when when we when we start to be able to show the conventional people that actually we can pr- improve your outcomes, all the amazing work you're doing by adding this in. Let's join forces. I mean, that really is the um, that's that's what we're aiming for. Totally. And that's why, yeah, this last week I've been down in Geelong, like educating midwives, chiropractors, um, osteopaths, physiotherapists, like practitioners and systems, parents and birth educators. We all need to come on board and work together. And the World Health Organization um, put out a very important announcement, you know, and after the Lancet review earlier this year, which was a big investigation into why C-sections are on the rise and what can we do about it. And the WHO says the first thing we need to do, the primary intervention needs to be childbirth education. But it has to be birth education, not just for parents. It has to also be for providers and for systems. Mm. So, yeah, I really... I suppose I want to speak that out because um, even this morning on Radio National, uh, there was a call to review the code of conduct of certain doctors in certain systems, uh, primarily the private hospital system. And, you know, we have a, an almost 50% cesarean section rate in our private hospital systems here in wow. Australia. And some um, obstetricians have even higher rates. And that cannot be justified by uh, age or obesity, um, or pelvis or shape or anything else. Mm. No, it's it's it can't be. If if this was what was required, that one in two women required major abdominal surgery anthropologically, this planet wouldn't exist right now. So we need to bring that back to maybe two in ten rather than one in two. And um, we all need to work together for that. And I I just want to, you know, I suppose reiterate to those women, um, we've just finished another trial. It wasn't a randomised control trial. Um, And it was primarily in the private hospital system. And I just want to reiterate to those women that if you did have a caesarean section in the private hospital system, and you're not sure why, or you feel disappointed in yourself, please don't know that you are coming up against a very, very tough protocol system that isn't always working towards the normal birth. Mm. And, you know, I had a cesarean emergency C-section in the public system and I had done my birth centre start and then been to the delivery suite for a bit and then got finally wheeled into the theatre when we'd tried everything and our heart rates went through the roof. Um, yep. And I think, you know, if we feel guilty about that, then that's, that's literally a guilt we are passing down to our child as they come into the world. There's science to prove that our thoughts and feelings get, you know, implanted into our child. Uh, and, uh, and I think, you know, there's, we ain't got no time for that. Guilt is absolutely not uh, part of a progressive picture when, when talking about birth and how things end up or how you did it in the past because you didn't know, you know, what you didn't know yesterday doesn't matter. It's what we get excited about what we can do from today to help the people around us, to help our future kids who are going to have kids of their own. There's so much good that can come of learning it now, even if we didn't know it 10 years ago. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Totally mm. agree. Yeah. Um, okay. So what about, uh, 
and this this might be a, a bit of a tough subject, but sometimes it really just does not go well, and sometimes there are tragic outcomes. Can I ask about the role of the doula in in those sorts of situations? Maybe it could be a stillbirth, maybe it could be um, you know something traumatic that happens to the woman medically, and it takes you know ages to recover. I'm sure you've seen a few um, unexpected tragedies in your time. Um, how how can we navigate those to help provide the best support and outcomes for those families? Yeah, there was actually just something came out in Canberra Times today. It was just about women who had had stillbirths being um, spoken in a very spoken to by midwives in a very disrespectful way and um, their babies had been called waste matter and <gasps> yeah oh my this goodness is modern times. this is in modern times I'm shocked but that's not the way I've seen systems um, manage tragedies at all not not at all um, certainly I've been present to them it is unfortunately it's a numbers game it's going to happen but the stats are so, um, you know, good right now in Australia. That's great. Yeah, they are. So I think it's from one in 200 used to be the expected stillbirth outcome and now it's down to like one in 1,000 or 1,200 or something. Wow, that's significant. That's amazing. It is. It really is. And that comes from, you know, good, good care and good systems. What I... I think is really important is maintaining the sanctity and the humanity mm. of birth. And that's what we're doing all the time, I believe, as doulas and as providers. And I've only ever seen systems manage them really, really well when something happens that's tragic. And sometimes there are no explanations for these things as well. Mm. Um, you know, getting access to be with your child as, as long as you want and as long as you need. And, yeah, that's, I think, a critical part and photography is a critical part to have memories and going through a grieving process and acknowledging that and ritual. So, yeah, I've been a celebrant for, I don't know, 10 years as well and I've certainly done quite a few funerals um not just for babies that we've lost but for sometimes partners that have yeah passed yeah. away randomly you know heart attacks at 35 and and i think ceremony and ritual is what we all need mm. to process our feelings significant moments and time and space allocated to celebrating whatever experiences we have had with this tiny being Maybe it was nine months gestation and that was all. Um, but being able to let go. And I think the spiritual journey is something I'm extremely comfortable with. I've had my own losses and I have always been able to feel, for me, even through my losses, that I didn't lose contact with the souls of my children. So if I can guide people, if they're interested in that, then I'll, I'll help them with that. But it's only if someone's interested in that kind of realm. So for me, even when we have a, a miscarriage, the soul hasn't even really often implanted in the child yet. It's still felt in the field. And that 
soul is consciousness and it's enhancing our life and it's already changing who we are. So the gift is the change, is the learning from that being. And, and I feel coming from a place of gratitude or getting to a place of gratitude is the ultimate goal in those journeys. Yeah, yeah, but they're not easy. They're never no. easy, of course. And everyone, it's unique for everybody. But I, I find systems are really good. So there is a report just today and an inquiry at the moment. But I find the Royal Hospital, the Royal North Shore, the ones I've been to, they've all been great. Mm. Fantastic. That's so encouraging. Mm. Um, and then another thing I wanted to ask about was when it's not uh, a, a partner, like, you know, someone that you're romantically involved with either through marriage or just living together de facto, um, that you're having this baby with. And if you've chosen to have the baby alone, um, how do we, how do we size up good birth partners in our friends and family? Cause often the, the person that you think might be the most supportive just might not have it in them to rise to that particular occasion. Like, is there totally. a silent audition process, a screening process of sorts as to who is into that? Such space? a good question. I love that question. I have run like small private groups just in my lounge room at home. Um, for solo mums. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I mean, within the solo mums um, community, there'll be solo mums for many different reasons and in many different ways as well, right? Um, so I, I tell them they all have to bring a partner. And yeah, I think a screening would be good prior. <laughs> Here, take this quiz online. I had <laughs> a mum bring along her friend. And when it came to massage, her friend said, no, no, I don't do massage. And I'm like, oh. mm, I, <laughs> I don't know that this person's going to be the right birth support yeah, because okay. this is going to be like key pain relief strategy. Yeah. So, yeah, you need to have somebody that is comfortable with massage. Too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, has got the space and time. Mm. And I and that can be, you know, being with you all night um, and being with you for a whole other day um, yeah. as well. I think it's important to have your friend as well as a doula. And that's why we've got the online program now because you can share the online program with your whole birthing team and you yes, can do the videos together and all that kind of stuff, which I think is really, really good. And, yeah, so they've got to be kept comfortable with touch. They've got to have the space preferably to have been or experienced a childbirth experience. The key to a good person in the birthing room, birth support person, is no ego. Mm. Like literally not bringing any of their own stuff into the room. They're able to hold space. So you feel comfortable being naked with them and you feel totally comfortable that you'd never be judged in any way, shape or form and you're not comparing yourself to them and their experiences. So that's partly you and your relationship with that person, but it's also partly their skill set as well. Nice. But, Head know. to the Korean baths a few times together and just see how it plays out. <laughs> <laughs> and go, yep, no, nope, had no whatsoever. You could All my wobbly bits, I'm comfortable <laughs> with you seeing them. No problem. So yeah. good. Yeah. Um, and so something that society tends to, to focus on is this birth. And, you know, rightly so. It's a huge and exciting journey uh, and a transformative experience. But we end up with a baby on the other side. <laughs> like, and that baby's going to be around for a while. Um, 
at least uh, at least 16, 18 years. How do we prepare for that? Uh, because, uh, you know, I feel like there's actually nothing you can do to prepare for that because whatever you do, it's just never going to be adequate to give you the It'll sensation. never be enough. Yeah, it'll never be it'll enough. It'll never be enough, for sure. It can't ever be enough because there's so many stages of development for that child and for you and there's so many um, permutations, right, that can mm. occur. So the key is understanding that the first 40 days should be rest as much as possible um, and that will give your body the space to recover and it will also give you and your baby the space to understand each other and for you to be able to respond to their needs uh, and to be able to observe them rather than read a book is scientifically proven to be better mm-hmm. for uh, That's a great family. Stat. Yeah. 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 Read your baby, not the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think space to rest and, and recoup, but also to learn that relationship and to fall in love because we don't always fall in love with our babies that moment they're born. Mm. Doesn't always happen like that. It might take weeks. Um, and I suppose knowing that you have a community and a network, like who to call, I yeah. think is critical as well. And I'm a big fan of um, postnatal doulas. They're becoming more and more popular now, which is fantastic. And is that a different person to your prenatal doula? Sometimes, yeah. Like it is a specific training. So I wouldn't consider myself to be a postnatal doula. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of, you know, our G-birth doulas are both. They've done both training. And I think it's a totally different set of skills, Um, sleeping and settling and Sometimes it's cooking and cleaning and it's being available at different hours and all of that kind of stuff and and coming into the home. So becoming almost um, an extra person in the family for a while. And again, it's just like what we would have always had. It's not normal. Mm. It's not normal to be hiding away on our own. Yeah. No. And that's just never the way it would have been. Like 150 years ago, you wouldn't be living like that and you'd have your sisters and cousins around. And now we all live away from our families on the other side of the world, a lot of us, or the other Mm. side of the country. Um, And I think there's going to be a renaissance around that. I think there has to be because, um, yeah, right now I'm living, you know, in a home with my son and my mum. And I really love it. It's amazing. Yeah. To have the extra pair of hands. It's so, so good to share those roles. Um, and I think it's if we can have some of that in those early months and years, so having someone nearby that you can call upon, um, connecting to, you know, mother's groups uh, is really important. That's why we set them up as well, our soul mama circles. And obviously there's the early childhood centres And knowing that you can call the Australian Breastfeeding Association is critical. Knowing to upgrade to a lactation consultant, never wait to get into the free one at the public hospital, like get them to the house. The moment you've got an issue with breastfeeding, you get help straight away. Mm. And um, same when you're concerned about your pelvic floor, your perineum, you get help straight away. Putting yourself first and and self-care because you are now the queen of this family. And without you operating well, like it's the whole thing is going to collapse. Mm. So yeah, take on the support, find the connections and give yourself time to rest and recoup and learn the relationship. Mm. Love it. So, so good. Um, and then obviously 
sort of speaking to that and moving on from that about work life, I, I fear is something you call the, the fourth wave of feminism, which is uh, society becoming more supportive of birth and newborns into a family. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, your passion there. Yeah, I, I think I'm just fed up with hearing all these stories of women being discriminated against because they are pregnant in the workplace, Mm -hmm. women being afraid to even share that they're pregnant or afraid to ask for um, a break to do an IVF round. Um, We need to acknowledge the worth and value that mothers play in our world and in our community. There is no one more important than the mother who takes care of the child and the next generation and having her taken care of allows her to be the best person to provide the best generations going forward. So I think it really begins with, um, I suppose, normalizing the experiences of pregnancy, conception, fertility, but then right through to being able to have, you know, flexible work hours and paternal um, care and leave. And I mean, the way you run your business, the way I run my business, I don't know, half my girls have got a baby on their hip half the time. So I just know that those chicks, they get stuff done. They yeah, might, they've got limited time, but they do it in twice the time. So it doesn't matter. Mm. You know? We've had a real baby and a fur baby on our team. And it's, it's like, yes, you just, you know, just work from home today. If the little one's sick, please do not even Fine. worry about it. You adaptability know. and yeah, exactly. more part-time roles, I think. So they took, they call it the forgotten women, those women who are highly trained, highly educated and skilled, and they can't re-enter the workforce because they cannot find part-time work and they want to raise their children. I don't want to become like America. Mm. I don't want Australia to be so goddamn rich that they can't even raise their own children. Like what is this three to six weeks maternity leave? Mm. It's just terrific. Yeah. And then your child should be raised by somebody else and you've got to work really hard to pay for those fees. It's not appropriate at all. We need mm. daycares in workplaces. The corporate world has so much money, they should be putting it towards supporting our families. Yeah, I so agree. Because you've got healthy, happy families. You have a healthy, happy society. You have less mental health days that are needed, less sick days that are needed. Everything starts to work better when people feel like, all their survival needs are met and uh, and then they can focus on purpose and connection in, in their workplace as well. So it makes them much more effective at work. Um, so it just sounds like you and I need to go run the world and uh, we'll get that happening. Right. Yeah, so we've got to, that's right. So that's why we launched, um, you know, on the back of many of our families, the, the workplace program. And so, yeah, we go into workplaces with parents at work, Remoney Life and Trio and, yeah, we support, um, you know, bringing sort of a conversation, a discourse, a positive conversation around parenthood and pregnancy mm. and birth in that space and preparation. And good parental leave begins with good preparation for birth. Mm. No doubt so about good. it. Yeah. So true. Um, and you've got a little guy who's just not so little anymore and about to fly the coop. That's a new, brave new era. What's going on for you? Yeah. So I think it's, really important to all the parents out there that they realize you only get 16 summers. (laughs) I'm on my 10th already coming up. Yeah. You got six more left girlfriend. Mm. Mm. So savor them, enjoy them and know that 
they're going to fly the coop. They are. And I think I've been preparing psychologically for a good year or so. And it's a beautiful thing, like maybe even longer actually, but it's so beautiful to see, yeah, Leroy like play his guitar and develop his own line of thinking. Like he's really into philosophy and music and economics and start to explore the world out there and what he wants to do and where he'd like to study and where he's going to go traveling. And yeah, it's just been really lovely. And to, to see him express his values with his friends and his girlfriend, like it's the greatest privilege in the world. And so it's this time with great joy and happiness, but also this deep feeling of grief as well, that it's like, it's pretty much done. Like my job is done now. I'm just like maybe a little bit of the taxi driver for the L plates to become the P plates and definitely cash mm. <laughs> and a little bit of kind of <laughs> guidance. It gets way expensive. Year 12 is such an expensive year. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a reality check and also exciting that I'll have more space, more freedom, but it's, it's really interesting. Brave yeah, that's capture for both of you. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. why I bought two dogs. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Fur babies now. Bye. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. um, can I ask you, because this came up through uh, one of our Lotox club members, we always ask them questions or, or to submit any questions they have for guests that are coming up and they get a bit of a preview of what we've got coming up on the show. One of the uh, women asked about uh, career advice. So she's actually super passionate about the birth experience. Mm. Maybe doesn't want to become a midwife though um, and sort of wanted to know from you some advice on what taking her passion for birth uh, and empowering women looks like. So the journey towards being a doula, what kind of training is involved. Mm. I dare say there might be a few women by the end of this show now starting to think, wow, I, I would love to do that. I'm done with having my kids. What an amazing thing to be able to support others and earn a bit of uh, part-time cash on the side as well, yeah. which would just be yeah. just super helpful to many families. So what does that look like? Yeah, the doula training, like I, I said earlier, I think is should be essential for every woman. It's just so fascinating and it's so beneficial to sit in a circle of women and discuss birth and all the different ways that we express ourselves and all the little roadblocks for all of us that come up in that journey um, to break it all down and it's so much fun. So there are, there's quite a few colleges um, and schools in Australia and there's also international ones online um, I think I don't actually, I have, it's been so long. I did mine with the Australian doula college, um, that Denise Love started and Renee Adair now directs and it was three to six months part-time, um, one day a week and then a lot of work, um, in between and then attending like, um, births for free. I think it was three or four free births that we did, um, and I would just say people don't want to do doula training often. They get worried about the hours and how they're going to manage it with their other jobs and their kids. And I would say just don't let that be a hindrance because I was a single mum and, yeah, found a way to make it work. And you can if you just start opening up and you have a, a doula partner and your buddy system and you somehow have conversations with your employer, 
I know people who've got full-time employment but are doulering and somehow manage to make it work. And births just magically happen when they're meant to happen as well. So there's an element of that. So I would say just go for any training that touches you when you look online, what speaks to you, and, and just jump in. It's, it's an amazing world to step into and you learn so much and you do so much great work for women. Every woman should have a doula. It should be compulsory. Yeah. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing a window into the world of oh. doulaing and she births. It's been such an amazing chat and I think is, is going to be nostalgic for some people. It's going to be uh, exciting for others who maybe have this coming around the corner for them. Uh, and, and I think everyone can just start to think about how we can support our women on this journey better because um, not just in the lead up to the birth, but afterwards as well, which I think is key. Um, totally. And as you, as you say, something that's really, really missing. It's great to see that we're getting this birth uh, part is sorted and supported. But um, yeah, the, the the other side is uh, still hugely challenging with um, with some really big opportunities for change. So thank you for the work you do, Nadine. We have all the details about the SheBirths online program, which means anyone in the world can get the goodness of what you have to offer. Um, but you also still do them in person uh, in Australia, don't you? Yeah, I teach in Sydney and Byron Bay and I've got educators all over New South Wales and down in Victoria at the moment and we're expanding. But lots of great places to have baby moons as well if people want it. We get people flying in from everywhere to come and do the course as well. Amazing. So good. I know my assistant personally, she did your course, which is how I found out about you. And she just raved about what that did to help them prepare uh, and have such a beautiful journey. So uh, you're a talented woman with so much to offer people. And I'm so excited. A few more people in my community now know about your work. Thanks, Alex. Thank you so much. And thanks for all that you do as well. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written you can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name I make everything super easy Lotox Life so you can find it really really simply Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.